Hi and welcome to New Plymouth Land of Fire Nice. My name is Black Robe and I'll be your host for today. So today we're going to be covering uh, one of uh, commandment number six and some of the associated things with commandment number six. Which one is that you may ask? Thou shalt not murder. Now in several of the translations of the Bible um, thou shalt not murder is translated into thou shalt not kill and it's actually a wrong translation um, because in the Jewish uh, language um, it is placed as thou shalt not murder um, when you're dealing with uh, commandments you also have to read into it the inverse okay so if somebody says thou shalt not steal um, you also have to read into that that um, it is good for you to accumulate material possessions because material possessions allow you a certain amount of freedom and with that freedom you can worship God um, well with uh, number six thou shalt not murder um, you also have to read into that that God gave you this life and he expects you to keep this life um, and and not to allow yourself to be murdered so you are supposed to protect your person um, and there are a lot of different um, times in the Bible where God talks about that you need to um, protect your life. Um, when the apostles were first sent out to the Jews, they were told uh, not to take purse or script or anything else and just go amongst the Jews and depend on their charity and for their sustenance and for their ability to be protected. Um, however, when he changed that and told the apostles to leave the relative safety of Israel and go out amongst um, the non-believers and out in the world, he told them to go ahead and purchase a sword to take with them. And it comes from Luke 22:36 through 38. It says, 36, he said unto them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, it is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And 38, the disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. So, um, <laughs> um, nowadays we don't carry around swords too often, uh, but we do um, defend ourselves with guns. And Currently in Canada, we have a prime minister who is furthering his progressive goals and the goals of the UN, which is to total uh, disarmament 
of uh, the populace by a certain date and uh, their whole entire goal is to make us so that we depend upon them for our uh, protection. Now, in the time of Jesus, when he told the Jews to go amongst the Jews and that they would be protected, there was a very firm amount of um, built-in protection in the society, and uh, they were able to focus on teaching the gospel rather than defending themselves. However, once they went out into the non-protected area, um, they needed to take along a sword in order to be uh, left alone. <laughs> um, criminals very often uh, look at you, and if you are one of the people that is uh, a target, then they will press their advantage and try and take stuff from you. And uh, very often, they don't care if you die or not. They just want the stuff. So, um, since up here in Canada, um, you call the police and you ask them to respond to your house because somebody is trying to take your life, you're lucky to get a policeman to your house within 45 minutes. And so you have to ask yourself, how long does it take for a person with murderous intent to complete his objective? Um, and the answer is just a few seconds. <laughs> they kick in the door, they point the gun, and you're dead. And here in this country, um, in, in Canada, we have far too long been without the threat of life and limb. Uh, and we've been able to develop certain attitudes towards self-defense that are completely unrealistic. Um, and for those of you who are more liberal-leaning and haven't actually gotten your, your PAL, which is a possession and acquisition license, you will know that or you might not know that um, in the RPAL, which is the Restricted Possession and Acquisition, they tell you that the only reason that you can have this gun is if you are target shooter or you utilize it in um, gun sports, um, such as three-gun competition, so, and then also a collector. Okay, so you have to declare to the police what your intent is for this gun. And if you were to say to the policeman, uh, or on, on his form, if you were to say, I'm getting this gun for self-protection, you would be denied. Because they do not believe that that is a valid reason for you to have a gun. And if you were to... Um, say on that form that you are intending on going to a range, excuse me, and you intend on shooting targets, but then when the bad guy came around and the bad guy went to go shoot you and you pulled out your gun and shot him, 
you are now, um, you have now committed a felony and you will definitely go to jail. Whether or not that person was going to kill you first, whether or not he had threatened your family with death, whether or not he'd actually even shot somebody from your family, regardless of what the reason is, if you end up killing somebody, you have to pay the price. And that price is going to jail for the rest of your life. Um, so up here in Canada, it is illegal for you to defend yourself. Now you will get lots of people who say, no, no, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But when it really comes down to it, when, when you take a look at the law, and when you take a look at the um, implementation of that law, um, what you find is if you pull out a gun and show a person a gun, you go to jail. If you pull out a gun and shoot a person with a gun, regardless of the reason, like he could be mass murdering thousands of people. <laughs> you know, he could be going through and blowing up people and driving them over with a U-Haul uh, and, and getting out and shooting another 500 people. You know, even if you were to pick up a gun from a police officer and shoot him dead, you would go to jail. If you pulled out your own weapon from the safe and came out and shot the person, you would go to jail. There is no circumstance in which you can utilize a weapon and not go to jail. <laughs> now, um, if you have a good lawyer, sometimes you might be able to get off. If you are able to um, prove your innocence, because up here in Canada we don't have the assumption of innocence, we, we have to prove our innocence. Um, if you, if you even had a video of him murdering your wife and your child and you managed to pull out a gun and save your own life, even then in that circumstance, you would be going to jail. And not only do you go to jail, but then the firearms that are in your possession in your household are taken from you and are <laughs> destroyed. And so they're not considered a possession. Um, they are allowed to you for your enjoyment and utilization in the approved manner. Other than that, you are not allowed to do anything with these guns. And uh, so with, uh, <laughs> with Trudeau, deciding that he was going to put on this gun ban um, that was quickly put in, um, you have to sit down and start saying, okay, well, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> Why is this happening? And am I willing to go to jail for possessing uh, a forbidden firearm now? And with the stroke of a pen and without uh, due representation and without consultation with the public, he has made it illegal to possess a whole bunch of rifles, 1,500 rifles. Now I currently have one of those rifles. I am a paperwork criminal. I was made a criminal several weeks ago 
and you know I'm kind of feeling good about it because you know uh, even though I have these belief systems that you know I'm supposed to honor and support the uh, civil authority and I'm supposed to follow the rules that they uh, set down um, since I am a criminal now um, there's really no reason for me to follow any other law. None. Because I'm already a criminal. And if they wanted to right now, they could knock on my door. Um, when you own a restricted PAL, um, they can come up, knock on your door without any um, notice. They can walk into your household. They can go through your household. They can search through everything. They don't need a warrant. Um, and they can check the status of your weapons to see if they are stored correctly. And uh, if they want to confiscate a weapon, they can. And there's nothing you can say or do about it. And if they walk in and do an inspection in your household, they will. Even if everything's stored correctly, they will find something wrong. And uh, even if they happen to have to break a lock off of... Uh, <laughs> a gun they'll say oh yeah you have you know unprotected firearm here there's no lock on this thing or or they'll walk through and and make up some rule on the spot that this is what you broke and there's nothing you can do about it you can't go and say this is not right you can't do anything if you've got a great lawyer he might be able to argue but regardless the gun is gone and it's already destroyed <laughs> And you've already spent time in jail. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a terrible thing um, here in Canada. And we are slowly losing every single vestige of a right. Like, we don't have rights here in Canada. We have permissions. And we have lost every single shred of any right that we did have at one time. Um, and, and the way I can say that is a right is something that naturally um, supports itself. So it's not, it's not a so-called right that government decides to give you or, or allows you. A right is something that is naturally supported. So out in the woods, if I were to decide that I wanted to talk and say bad words, um, my ability to do so, my right to speech, is protected in the woods because um, if somebody wanted to come and say, no, you can't do that, then that right is protected by your ability to uh, defend yourself with a rifle. Okay, And so out in the woods, um, if I wanted to, let's just say we don't have rifles out in the woods, if I wanted to speak bad words and jump up and down and say awful nasty things, uh, and somebody came and said, you can't do that, I'm forcing you to stop, you can go out and make yourself a bow and arrow, and you can defend yourself with a bow and arrow or with an, a stone axe or whatever, and you are justified because that person is trying to uh, utilize force against you to stop you from using one of your rights. That is how that right is self-supporting. Now, you have the right to association out in the woods. 
Um, and, and why I say out in the woods is um, free and clear of any government intervention and any government supporting whatever right that you're claiming. So out in, out in the woods, if somebody decided that you couldn't go meet with your wife <laughs> and say, hi, wifey, how are you doing? If they said, no, no, you can't go see that woman over there. That's your wife, I know, but you can't go see her. Then you can use your bow and arrow or your stone axe on that person because they are restricting your freedom of association. They are forcing you not to associate. And in that way, it's a self-protecting right. Um, now, we also understand that might does not necessarily mean right. So just because I can use a stone axe on somebody and I can say to them, um, you know, I have the right to your food, <laughs> just because I try and use my stone axe to knock them in the head and take their food, that's not a, that's not a right. What that is, is utilization of force to take something. So then that's not a right. And uh, so we get to that point where, you know, we're arguing whether something's wrong or something's good, um, whether or not you can enforce your right with uh, violence if, if violence is pressed against you. You know, we're, we're talking about all these things. And um, the, the thing that governs this is the morals that a person has, the morals that a society has. And um, also, along with the morals of the society, the morals that God himself has placed before us. So these Ten Commandments, the Beatitude, um, you know, some of these things that we have been given from God and uh, that we are supposed to govern our society by. And from my understanding of how we as, as Christians are, are meant to fit into society is that we follow the idea of render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and render unto God that which is God. So essentially what we're saying is that um, as long as whatever Caesar is asking for does not belong to God. And whatever Caesar's asking for is, um, doesn't violate God's laws, then that's what we do. We, we value that and honor that. And we find that in uh, Matthew 22, 15 through 22, and uh, Luke 20, 19 through 26. Um, so it says, um, actually we'll go on 13 just to give a little more idea. And it, they said unto him, certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know thou art true and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teacheth the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? 
And they were trying to trap him in, uh, if he said, yes, it is lawful to give to Caesar, then he wasn't teaching the way of God. And if he said, no, it's not lawful to give to Caesar, then he would be handed over to Caesar for refusing to pay the tax. But this is what he, let's, let's just continue here. Shall we give or shall we say not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answereth, unto, answereth, saying unto them, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. And they're like, oh crap! <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't catch him in the, in the, in it. And they, and they marveled at him. Um, so, um, and when, like I was saying before, when you. When, when the goals of Caesar match that of the goals of God, so <laughs> let's just say, for example, again, thou shalt not steal, okay? When Caesar says to us, we don't support people stealing, and then God says, thou shalt not steal, those two things go together, and we can honor both Caesar and God while doing the same thing. But what happens when Caesar and God separate? Okay, so what happens when uh, Caesar says it's okay for government to steal from the people and, and to oppress the people by stealing from them? What does God say about that? Well, God says, thou shalt not steal. That's thou and thy government. <laughs> it doesn't just mean thou. And so since all taxation is um, theft from the people, you know, you have to start wondering, okay, so at what point do I say I can no longer render unto Caesar this thing because God asked me to do something different, okay? So what would happen if Caesar said that what we have to do and what is law now is that we must um, murder our children. Okay, so, you know, um, I'm, I'm changing the law to say that abortion is good at any time up until 20 years old. <laughs> you know, if you don't like your child, by gosh, knock them off. <laughs> If, if we just said abortion is good at any time up until a certain age, you know, whether that be one year old or, or 20 years old, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and what do we get from God? God says, thou shalt not murder. And when you murder a child, that is murder. And it's not only just murder, it's the worst kind of murder. It, it's murdering a child. And we're, we're told in... Christianity, that it would be better if a millstone were hung around our neck and dropped into the depths of the ocean than for us to harm children, right? So uh, here we are. Caesar says it's okay to murder your children, but God says, no, it's not. So what do we do? What do we, how do we sync those two things together? And how we sync it together is 
we no longer belong to Caesar. Our, our actions do not belong to Caesar. There is a point in time where we say, what exactly is Caesar's stuff? You know, um, with the taxation thing, we got a problem because the money that he is asking for through taxation is technically has Caesar's face on it, right? You know, up here in Canada, you know, we got <laughs> all these stupid faces on it, new faces of uh, some civil rights leader and some this, that, or the other thing. And uh, on it, it says property of the government of Canada, essentially. Um, so that stuff still is Caesar's. And so if you're making money that has Caesar's face on it and they say, we're taxing this, you know, that that's, that's their prerogative. But where our prerogative happens is we start saying, okay, well, if that's the case, then I am refusing to accept in my business, I'm refusing to accept the king's coin. You want to bring in a, a carton of eggs? I will sell you this honey. You want to bring in um, a, a, a lamb? I will sell you this pig. Okay, so uh, you, you, you no longer are following what um, Caesar can control, and you are deciding to go a different way. So with murder, if you decide that you will not murder somebody, and they say, no, no, um, you have to agree with murder because uh, it's, it's our law, we kindly say to them, I'm sorry, I'm a citizen of um, heaven, and I am no longer a citizen of this country, apparently, since you have decided to go against God. And, and that's how you handle it. Um, and what, what Justin Trudeau has done here, up here in Canada is he has outlawed 1,500 guns. Um, we have the commandment that we should not murder, and that should satisfy the government um, you know, we should be able to own weapons because they know that as a Christian, I have a belief system that prohibits me uh, from murdering. And, and I have other consequences that the state actually doesn't even put on to me that I, you know, I value my eternal soul. And if, um, if uh, I murder, I know that I'm going to hell. <laughs> okay, so... Um, and here, um, they're saying that there is no, nothing stopping people from murdering. Um, they're, they're saying that mass murderers have, um, um, there is a correlation between mass murder and family violence. Well, there again, um, as, a, as a good practicing Christian, I have a prohibition against family violence. If I harm a child, it would be better that a millstone be hung around my neck and dipped in the deepest part of the sea, right? If I am hurting my spouse, um, we are supposed to treat our spouses better than ourselves, <laughs> Um, and we're supposed to, to think of them before we think of ourselves, and we're supposed to protect them. Um, as a man, 
uh, and a Christian, my job is to protect my family. So if I am committing family violence against my spouse, then I am going to have some eternal consequences. And that is what stops me, not the fact that, that the government may eventually come in and uh, um, take away my children or may eventually come in and separate me from my spouse and uh, put me in jail, possibly. That's not what stops me. What stops me is my eternal soul and my value for my eternal soul and my citizenship in heaven, right? Now, it might be an additional thing, but we also believe as Christians that if we... Um, the laws that we have, if they are godly laws, if they follow the Ten Commandments and then nothing more, <laughs> um, if we follow them, the law should have no hold on those people who are righteous. And it's only the unrighteous or the people who refuse to recognize the value of their eternal soul, who refuse to follow the laws of God. It is only those people that the law has hold upon. So we are free to act within our, our, our life unless we violate those rules. And then, then and only then the law comes upon us and, and has hold upon us. Up until that point, law has no hold upon us because we have an inner uh, sanction and an inner um, um, value that precludes us from going against God's law. And, and in extension, because we're, we're not violating God's law, we're not violating Caesar's, Caesar's law. So, <laughs> you know, um, those two things should jive. And um, governments are not meant to put any more laws upon man other than the Ten Commandments, other than reinforcing the Beatitudes. And anything more and above that, that's Caesar's law, and we don't necessarily have to follow those laws. Um, and you can go into um, the morals and values and things like that, and you can prove that Caesar's law is against um, the freedom of choice. And it starts limiting the freedom of choice, and anything that limits freedom of choice is either sin because sin limits freedom of choice, or being sinned against. So that's exactly what the law is doing, is it's sinning against Christians, uh, and we, we are not to stand for it. Okay, So that's where we're coming from as Christians. We're, we're, we're coming to the point where Justin Trudeau has put down this edict, uh, uh, this directive from a... Uh, dictator called Justin Trudeau in the Canadian government of mm, Caesar government, right? Worldly, kingly government. Um, and he's dictating to us that we have to get rid of these guns and not defend ourselves. And uh, that, that somehow magically everything's going to be okay, when, especially when the cops can't get to our house within 45 minutes of us calling them, especially when um, we're not able to defend our families. And, and so more and more of God's laws are being broken 
by this dictator. So we as Christians have to, we have a, a duty and an obligation to not only not commit these errors, not commit these sins, but we must also, um, within peaceful means, protest and attempt to change the rules and the guidelines and the laws to fit more towards that which the God, the laws of God are. Okay, and if not, it is up to us to stand and defend against tyranny. God has an extreme hate for international communism. God has an extreme hate for um, socialism. Um, and any time that, that communism and socialism has, has come to fruition in this world, um, and, and I think it's totism, which is the no regard to any laws, just the strongest survive, Anytime those kind of things have come into to force, God has not blessed that country. God has not blessed those group of people. And in fact, in the case of Tautism, that happened before the flood of Noah. Um, they were essentially the strongest survive, and, and there is no law but strength. And God erased the people from the earth that believed in that, that practiced that. And um, in the case of communism and socialism, no communist country has ever um, thrived. No communist country has ever um, been able to save its people. They have gone through massive um, purges and, and massive amounts of murder happening and massive amounts of, of stealing of wealth happening. And it just gets to the point where it's people against people, and they eventually break down, and everybody kills everybody. I mean, it's just, it's horrible. And their country is left in ruins, and God will not bless that. So we don't want that here in Canada. We don't, you know, Christians don't want that here in Canada. We will not accept a dictator here in Canada. So, <laughs> and, and and we've gotten to this point where we're we're talking about guns and we're talking about good guns, bad guns, and and as far as as far as God cares, um, as long as we are good Christians, there is no prohibition against owning property such as guns in order to defend ourselves and our families and our countries. Okay, so, and uh, it, it's just so silly. I mean, I served in the armed forces, um, and so I, I am, I am, <laughs> I really do know about, you know, M16s, C7s, 556 five, rounds, um, and I, I know about those things because. You know, we were taught about them in the military. We were taught about their history, and we were taught why these things exist. And uh, it's just so disingenuous when when people um, want to limit uh, M16s and C7s and AR15s, all the same rifle, by the way, um, and uh, and five five six 
shooting weapons. <laughs> so I'm going to read you something that came from the Atlantic. And, um, and it's about M16, a bureaucratic horror story. And then the smaller print is Why Rifles Jammed. Okay, so, and it's going to be talking a little bit about why the, why M16s were brought into service. Um, originally, the M16 was a hunting round. It was used for hunting. Now, in Canada, you can't use um, 5.56 round as a hunting round. It's illegal. But it, this was originally brought in, oh, I'm trying to think, um, 19, I think it's 1965. No, middle of 1967. Nope, nope, it's right, 1965. Um, and it's been around since 1965. And it started out as a civilian hunting rifle. Okay, so um, between 1965 and 1969, more than a billion, or no, excuse me, more than a million American soldiers served in combat in Vietnam. One can argue that they should never have been sent there, but no one can argue that once committed to battle, they should not be given, or that they should have been given inferior equipment. Yet that is what happened. During those years in which more than 40,000 of the American soldiers were killed by hostile fire and more than 250,000 wounded, American troops in Vietnam were equipped with a rifle that their superiors knew would fail when put to the test. Okay, so this rifle that they're banning is actually an inferior rifle to the rifles they had before. Okay, so the rifle was known as the M16. It was a replacement for the M14, a heavier weapon which previous was the previous standard. The M16, the whole entire theory behind the M16 was um, it's a smaller round, and when it enters the enemy's body, it will not kill him. But it takes five people out of the war. So it enters his body. He says, owie, owie, buddies, please take me back to the, to the uh, ambulance so that I can go to the hospital. So four people pick up that one injured person and take him out of the fight. And so that's five people taken out of the fight because you didn't drop him dead. Now, there are other, other things that say that M16 actually is uh, a better rifle for killing if you actually hit some of the sweet spots on a human body, but that's what it was built for. It was built to take five people out of the battle. So as a hunting rifle, you know, um, the amount of trauma that it would inflict upon a deer upon uh, a fox, upon a, a coyote, upon a rabbit, was sufficient to kill it almost immediately, like fairly quickly. Um, however, as a human, you know, we've, we're a little bit bigger. We have not-so-vital areas, so you can get hit in a not-so-vital area and still survive it. It was meant not to kill. So I want you to keep that in mind. But if you hit the sweet spot, you know, if you if you hit the uh, if you hit the computer or if you hit the pump, you you're good, right? Because an M16 was enough to to 
damaged that area fairly well. The M16 was a brilliant technical success in its early models, but it was perverted by bureaucratic pressures into a weapon that betrayed its users in Vietnam. By the middle of 1967, when the M16 had been in combat for about a year and a half, a sufficient number of soldiers had written to their parents about the unreliable equipment and a sufficient number of the parents sent those letters to the congressman to attract attention from the House Armed Services Committee, which formed an investigative subcommittee, and the subcommittee, headed by Representative Icord, a Democrat from Missouri, conducted a lengthy inquiry into the origins of the M16 problem. Much of the credit for the hearings belongs to the committee's counsel, Earl J. Morgan. The hearing record, nearly 600 pages long, is a forgotten document which received modest press attention at the time and calls up only dim recollections now, yet it is pure portrayal of blatant evil. Now, a century before American troops were ordered into Vietnam, weapons designers had made the discovery of the, in the science of wound ballistics, discovery that a small, fast-traveling bullet often did great more deal of damage to a larger, than a larger round when fired into a human, or for experiments, animal flesh. A large artillery round might pass straight through the human body, but a smaller bullet could act like a gouge. During early stages of the congressional hearing, Icord asked Eugene Stoner, the designer of the original version of the M16, to explain the apparent paradox of a small bullet's destructive power. The answer emerged in the following grisly exchange. Icord, one army boy told me that he had shot a Viet Cong near the eye with an M14, which uses a substantially heavier bullet, and the bullet did not make too large of a hole on the exit. But when he shot the Viet Cong with a, under similar circumstances in the same place with an M16, his whole head was reduced to pulp, and this would not appear to make sense. You have a greater velocity, but the bullet is lighter. Stoner, there is an advantage that a small and lighter bullet has over a heavy one, and it comes to the wound ballistics. What amounts to is that the fact that bullets are stabilized to fly through the air and not through water or a body, which is approximately the same density as water. And they are stable long enough that they are in the air, but when they hit something, they immediately go unstable. If you're talking about a 30 caliber, like the bullet in the M14, this might remain stable through the human body, while a little bullet having a low mass, it senses the instability situation faster and reacts much faster. This is what makes a little bullet pay off so much in wound ballistics. Okay, so, um, however, um, the AR-15, a precursor of the M-16, okay, so did you hear that? An AR-15 was before the M-16. So when people are trying to tell you that the AR-15 is a weapon of war, they're freaking lying to you. Okay, so um, it was a precursor of the M16 and used a 22 caliber bullet instead of a 30 caliber that had been the standard for the army as long as early as 1928. Okay, so <laughs> um, it's the exact same size as a 22. Well, just a little bit bigger. So. <laughs> 
You've got a lot more powder behind it, which makes it travel farther, but it's around about the same size as a 22. So, and, and the reason why it works so well is because um, the bullets have the type of material that it's made out of that it mushrooms, and, and they have special ways that, that you can make a bullet that it will spread even farther, okay? So, um, but just to give you the opposite of that, when um, the soldiers went into Somalia, they had bullets that were specially made to uh, go through um, stuff in front of the enemy soldier, and um, they were shooting at Somalis who could not afford that extra armor, plated armor, um, vest or whatever, and so their bullets literally were passing straight through the enemy, and the enemy had enough life back in it, even if they hit the pump, and even a lot of times if they ended up hitting the head, the, the, the computer, the enemy still was able to attack and cause significant damage to the soldiers in Somalia. So you know, it's not even necessarily the gun that makes sure that these um, uh, rifle or that, that the bullet is, is doing the damage that it wants. It's the design of the bullet. So if you are, you know, ignoring the fact that um, it's not the gun and it's not the bullet that kills the people, it is the people who kill the people. It is the people without morals that kill the people. So if you, if you totally ignore that and totally ignore the solution to the problem and focus on the gun and make the gun illegal, you're, you're totally bass-ackwards. You should be saying that certain bullets cannot be made this way and that you can have the gun and you can have bullets that are made right so that they they wound less, okay? So <laughs> totally and completely weird about that. But um, so we're able to, we're able to uh, uh, carry these larger, larger round um, guns with larger round bullets. Um, and, and we're able to use them, but because people think that um, having more bullets be able to leave the gun and, and go in different places very quickly, that that causes more deaths. It does not either. You know, Justin Trudeau said you, you would not be able to kill a larger amount of people in a shorter amount of time. And anybody who has ever been behind a rifle you know, a bolt-action rifle, which you, you, you take a lever, you push it up, you pull it back, you insert the round, you push the lever back and push it down and lock it down, and then you put your finger in and press the trigger and off it goes, and it's just one bullet at a time. That's the ones that they're saying are okay. If you've ever been behind one of those things, you get the attitude that this bullet is precious and I better make it count. And so if you're shooting things, or people, but let's just say just things, if you're shooting things with a bullet that you feel is more precious, you are 
making closer aim, you are making the round count, you are making sure that you hit the pump or the, the computer, and, and you, are, you are taking down whatever you're going after, right? So it, it's kind of counterintuitive. You can, literally, you can get the M16 that has a three-round burst, and, and this is something that they found in Vietnam as well, is that the three-round burst, they would stick the rifle up over, over the log, and they had fully automatic M16s at that time, so you press the trigger, and it emptied the magazine. So all 30 rounds went downrange. So they would stick it up over the log, press the trigger, and get rid of all the bullets, bring it back down, change the magazine out, put it above the log, press the trigger, and, and, and they would just spray and pray, right? And, and it was not effective. Like literally, they, they, they literally shot thousands and thousands of rounds and maybe one round of those thousands and thousands of rounds actually found a Viet Cong. Like, it was absolutely useless. And so they, they changed it from full auto to a three burst round or three round burst. And, uh, and, and so now um, even the military people, when they use M16s, can only shoot three rounds at a, at a single squeeze. So you, you value the rounds a little bit more because you know it's three rounds, bang, 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 right? And so you're, you're trying to get it more in the right area and you're trying to be more precious. But if you had one single round and then you had to take the time to uh, eject the round, put in a new one and lock it down, you would value that even more and you'd make sure that it counted more. And literally, <laughs> if you're making things count more, you're more apt to take out one person or one animal with every single round. So what they're saying, the justifications that they have about that are totally and completely inept. Dumb. Absolutely dumb. So it just gets to the point where you say, okay, what are we doing here? Um, not only as Christians are we um, required to fight against tyranny, which when they make these dictates, that's tyranny, and we have to oppose it one way or another. We have to oppose it, whether it's with uh, um, writing letters to our MPs and MLAs, whether it's uh, going out and uh, marching and protesting, whether it is making advertisements, whether it's making podcasts, or whether you know, you're going out and, and doing the extreme, you know, uh, however we are opposing this evil force, um, we are required to do it. And, and they're just not understanding that, that their assumptions are totally 100% wrong. They're going at this absolutely wrong. And they're essentially just bringing Christians at head with their tyrannical government. And what's going to happen? And it's like they're asking for to be removed from power. I, I just don't understand this. So um, I, I, I can't see what they get out of it. And the only thing that I can see what they get out of it is um, if they hit heads with those who will not accept a tyrannical government, they're able to bring the blue hats and the Chinese in to stop it. 
So they're, they're essentially saying, okay, we're going to hand over our sovereign citizenship to the world government or, or hand over our sovereign citizenship to China, which Canada has over and over and over again to China and over and over again to UN. They have given certain parts of our sovereignty over. Um, that, that's the only thing that I can see that they would, why they would do these things because Justin has to know that he's going to be removed from power. All these people who are, are progressives have to know that they are lining up against people who have very strong values and very strong opinions about stuff and will not put up with tyranny. Yet here they are with the COVID-19 thing, pressing their tyranny and, and sneaking something through like this, like this dictate of 1,500 guns being illegal. <sighs> Anyways, so I guess the thing that I need to talk to you about today and the thing that I need to, to, to say to you today is as a Christian, it is your right and obligation to defy tyranny. And however that looks to you, I, I, I am against violence. Uh, you know, as a soldier, a soldier does not want to see violence because we understand what violence is. Um, and we've seen countries that we've walked into that have been ruled by tautism, by violence and, and, and survival of the fittest. We don't like that. We don't want that. Um, but we are obligated to either change the government out through democratic means or to replace the government or to pack up our belongings and go find some place that isn't populated, some awful, awful place that nobody else wants, and we go and make that place our heaven, <laughs> whatever we have to do. And unfortunately, with uh, Christians, a lot of times what ends up happening is just that. We end up having to pick up our stuff and go someplace else and say, we're not we're not playing this game because um, it it wrecks too many Christians because we have to uh, kill not murder we have to kill in order to um, preserve our rights and we as Christians don't want to do that so a lot of times we instead of um, instead of defending ourselves in that manner. A lot of times we as Christians pick up our stuff, find those people who are of similar mindset, and we all go to some place that is open to the idea of freedom and just needs the manpower. So uh, in thinking about this and in working with this, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, we need to start considering that there might be a better place for us to live, that we as citizens of heaven cannot live amongst Caesar and his citizens. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I am I do need to put this out there again. I do not support violence. However, there comes a time in every Christian's life where you have to decide if we're going to utilize the force of arms, or if we're going to say, okay, that's it, I'm done, I'm not playing this game, and I'm moving away. 
And, and a lot of times the, that secondary thing that I'm talking about of moving away and finding a different place to be is the way we need to be. Um, so, uh, brothers and sisters, I wish that you would go and look up some of these scripture references that we talked about. Talk with your families. Find out what they believe and feel about this thing. Um, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God that which is God's. Wink, wink. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.